0: This is a Healthier Michigan podcast, episode 84. Coming up, we're traveling the world without leaving our kitchen. Join us as we learn more about different cultural dishes that are not only healthy, but just might end up being your new go-to meal. Welcome to a Healthier Michigan podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to navigating how we can improve our health and well-being through small, healthy habits. We can all start right now. I'm your host, Chuck Gatica. Every other week, we'll sit down with a certified expert to discuss topics covering nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, a whole lot more. And in this episode, again, we're exploring different cultures and healthy cuisines that are part of them. And some you may have heard of, and some maybe are completely new. With us today is registered dietitian for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Shanti Apello. Good to have you back.
1: Hey Chuck, it's great to be back.
0: Well, I know that this is a, a topic that you have talked about. We've talked about it off mic a little bit, but you know, your interesting transitions in life coming from Sweden into the United States, you know, you get your bachelor's, your master's in public health nutrition. And so you still have folks, family, friends that will have discussions and have unique dishes you know, in their lives that I'm sure you talk about one way or another, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I grew up in Sweden. I I think my grandmother actually listens to this podcast. So, hey, (laughs) more.
0: Wait a minute. She's she's in Sweden and she listens?
1: She's in Sweden and she listens. Ah, (laughs) Well, wait,
0: what's her name again? Monica. Monica. Not Monica. Monica.
1: Monica, yeah. Oh, that
0: is so sweet. Well, hi, Grandma. I'm glad you're listening. That's so cool. (laughs)
1: Yep. Yep. And then my mom was adopted from India, so she was raised there until she was about five. And so whenever we get together, she does still love to put together some Indian dishes, a lot of curries and things like that.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting part of this discussion about cultural foods is that there are individual ingredients that we hear on their own. You know, like you'll hear about curry or turmeric or all these different things that people have been using for Eons in their cooking, but they sort of get buried in just the dish. You don't even know why it tastes as great as it does. And then you hear it's got something in it that now someone tells us we should pop a pill to take, and it's not quite the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are so many different ways that the culture of foods and different ingredients from all over the world are now making it onto our plate. You know, we've come a long way from just being able to eat whatever was grown in our area.
0: And isn't the, what we're coming out of here with the pandemic, don't you think people having to be forced to cook more in their own homes has led to discovery of playing, you know, Google dietitian or Google restaurant (laughs) owner where, you know, you're like, okay, kids, we're going to find a new one tonight. And then you experiment more. I know we did as a family.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So fun to explore. And it's also really fun to just try new things.
0: Yeah. So part of this, though, with the cultural aspect is that you sometimes, if not often, are sitting around a table with people from the cultures of the food you're experimenting with or trying maybe even for the first time. Part of this is that idea that you're breaking bread with other people. That's part of the unique experience, I think, that is healthful.
1: Yeah, definitely. And culture in food means so many different things because it represents religion in certain cases. It can be art. (laughs) It can mean availability. It can be linked to immigration. There are so many different ways that cultural foods play a big role in our lives now. So for example, I'm from Sweden. We have a law called Allemansrätten. It literally means everyone's right. Basically, it guarantees any Swede to roam in the countryside, to forage. You can pitch a tent. For up to two nights, but you just have to be 230 feet away from a home or farm. So that means you can go pick flowers, you can go forage mushrooms, you can find everything that's in nature. And that plays a really big role in the food culture in Sweden. You know, it's big mushroom season, and you can go anywhere to pick them. Another thing, you know, growing up there, pickled foods are big. And when we think back to A couple hundred years ago, when there was no refrigeration, there was no way to preserve foods other than pickling. And in certain cases, you'd smoke, cure foods. And that holds a big part of the cultural foods today. We eat pickled herring at Christmas, midsummer, all those kind of big holidays. And that's true for so many other cultures You know, if you think of Polish food, that's something big in Michigan. Potatoes are still a big part of the food, and that's because it was so widely available, and it has been for centuries in Poland.
0: Well, two things I've got to say right off the bat. First of all, I love herring, and I'll have uh, it—if I get sour cream herring, even better for me, but my wife thinks I'm loony. And I said growing up, my background was German and Czech, and we related more to the foods of the Czech, which is kind of Polish food. And every New Year's Eve and Christmas, we would have herring. So I don't know where that connection is to what you had learned in Sweden or what you did. But to me, herring is one of those treats that, man, I could have that all the time. Yeah. And it's just awesome. I know it's an acquired taste, but it's awesome.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you make a good point there because it's all about tradition sometimes. And when we think of immigration, that's a huge part of bringing cultural foods to other countries. Because whenever you move to another country, you take your cultural foods with you. And it's something you want to introduce to other people. It's a way that you connect with other people and you share. So yeah, I mean, there's a reason why these things have been kind of passed down for so long. And of course, trade plays a big role too. As as trade has improved, we're able to try so many different foods.
0: Well, and also pre-pandemic and now coming out of it, we hope all the small restaurants that we came to know and love, whether it's Thai or Indian or any other cultural food, you know, my Lebanese place that I had for falafel. I could live on falafel. I'm just saying, I could. (laughs) And I, I think that we have to hope that all of these places come back because sometimes those are the gems. They may not be the name of the restaurant that jumps off right out of mind when you're thinking of where to go tonight or pick up food. But those are the places where you tend to get, in many ways, a lot of that cultural experience, the flavors, the aromas, you know, the deep use of all this stuff that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Michigan, I mean, I'm new here, but it's had a lot to offer for me. I had never had shawarma, and I just want to, I wish I could go back in time and personally thank the person (laughs) who invented shawarma. (laughs) But for those who don't know what that is, basically, it's thin cut meat put on a large skewer of some sort in like a cone shape, and then cooked rotisserie style, almost just kind of circulating. And oh my goodness, it is so good. We're so lucky here in Michigan too, because we have a very large Middle Eastern population in Dearborn. And so with that, of course, comes all that great food. There's so much great vegetables, the salads, the dressings, all those things are so healthy and they're so widely available to us.
0: Okay, now I'm hungry and I already had lunch, but I'm just saying, I could go for shawarma and a little tabbouleh and hummus and falafel, and oh, I could get the whole thing going. (laughs) I was just at my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's 25th anniversary party, and we were over on the west side of the state, so delightful evening. And after the party kind of clears out, there's a table of ten, and somehow the conversation turned to Polish food. So being Czech, I could understand some of the names, and I would say, well, you know, the way I grew up, it was called this, and what is that in your culture? And very close. I tell you, we spent 20 minutes talking about our favorite Polish foods and what it meant to us growing up. And you mentioned your grandma. You know, it takes you immediately back to another time in life that was simpler often. It takes you back to those people who introduced you to it, who you miss often and, you know, there is that connection culturally, obviously, but it is something when you get people talking about it, and the there was joy, but there was also this sense of calm about taking people back, including myself, to a different time in life where maybe things were simpler. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. fun.
1: Yeah, there's a great quote that says, No one who cooks, cooks alone, even at their most solitary a cook in the kitchen is surrounded by generations of cooks past. So Wow. Absolutely.
0: That is so great. And the awesome thing that this gives us is a chance at any time in our lives to kind of get out of our comfort zone, right? Because you're meeting people that are they're marrying into the family where you now have to experiment with stuff that you've never thought about eating before.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. We can kind of dig into some of the food cultures where we can learn a lot of good things from. So, one of the ones I love is Asian food in general. Chinese food in particular, they do such a good job balancing ingredients. You know, there's that concept of yin and yang. So, they use heat, salt, acid, and fat. Those are all the elements that are the basics of good cooking. So, A lot we can learn from Asian food in that way, just making everything taste really good. Another thing that I love to do is shop at Asian supermarkets because they have so much affordable produce and the most variety of mushrooms I've ever seen at any store before. So diverse produce, affordable, awesome. Another thing is Vietnamese food, especially pho is becoming very popular now. It's a little better than ramen noodles because the noodles aren't fried before. Did you know that ramen noodles were actually fried before we boil them?
0: No, I did not know that. I can't say that I would, you know, that kind of came after my college days, but now I've got grandkids and we've got one that just thinks ramen noodles are all that, you
1: know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So pho is a really great way because it packs in a lot of different vegetables. It still has that beautiful broth, but the noodles are healthier as well. Another great dish, we actually have a recipe for this on org. are Vietnamese spring rolls. So they use rice paper, instead of basically frying the roll. And so you can pack it with veggies. You can put all kinds of things in there. You can put shrimp or a little crab stick, load it with lettuce, avocado, green onion, cilantro, all kinds of things. And then you dip it in a peanut butter sauce. So that one's really good. But again, just a better way to consume a spring roll rather than fried.
0: Plus gluten-free if you're using rice paper, right? So as long as it hasn't touched other stuff, that's all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great way for people who can't tolerate gluten to have too.
0: And you've mentioned mushrooms now uh, probably more than anybody on any of our podcasts and 84 <laughs> of our episodes. But, I mean, I love mushrooms, and I, too, would go morel mushroom picking. Here in southeast Michigan, anyway, it's around Mother's Day, and I had a buddy who turned me on to that. When you talked about picking mushrooms in Sweden or even the Asian grocery stores, what kind of mushrooms are those? Because I only know of the standard kind and the morels. What else can we be looking for that we should experiment with?
1: Yeah, so, of course, there are portobello mushrooms. Mm. Oh, yeah. They taste great grilled. Some people even like to sub their hamburger bun for a portobello mushroom cap. I love to put some pesto in mine and some goat cheese and then top it with some sun dried tomatoes. Wow! But in Asian cultures, of course, there are so many different kinds. In Sweden, we have trumpet mushrooms, which are delicious. We also have chanterelle mushrooms, French name there. But yeah, I mean, so many different kinds. And what's great about mushrooms is that they are spongy, so they can absorb a lot of great flavor. And because they're exposed to sunlight, they can also absorb a lot of vitamin D, which is really healthy.
0: So like many states, Michigan has its own history of food. And and like you've talked about, Even with that quote, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right, in terms of where this comes from, the influence of the French that came to Michigan back in the day. And I think we've kind of lost some of that, but yet we have all these pockets that you referenced a few of in Michigan that really help us build... New traditions of food. You know, you go up to uh, Frankenmuth and there's a lot of German food, right? I mean, it's really interesting to study where we travel in the state and what kind of cultural food we can get to.
1: Yeah, and I think you make a good point there because just because a cultural food usually is associated with another country— it doesn't have to be that way. You know, mm. we have a lot of great soul food that I can't wait to try. Uh, I've tried some, but in Detroit especially, we have so much great soul food. I'm very much looking forward to cherry season here in Michigan and oh, getting awesome. our apples in the fall. Yeah. And so many great foods that come out of that. You know, I think with Polish foods especially, one ways that I've tried to make them a little healthier. Is instead of using sour cream, I'll use Greek yogurt or just a low fat sour cream wrong, along with like pierogies. I've also been able to put pierogies in the air fryer, which made them a little healthier to prepare. So, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, made yeah. them nice and crispy. And, you know, the contents on the inside is still that nice texture.
0: Well, one of my favorite dishes as a kid, and I think it's a Polish dish as well, this came up in our conversation, was a like a sour cream chicken with a little paprika on it. But you could substitute in that dish. I've never done it, but now you've inspired me. I mean, you could use yogurt in that dish, right? You could just substitute it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yogurt is a great way to kind of make creamy sauces a little healthier because it packs in sometimes vitamin D, but definitely calcium and then protein to make them more filling. Because... Oftentimes, whenever you get an extra dressing or extra sauce, that's a difference of two to 500 calories. So, definitely good to substitute that. Another culture that uses Greek yogurt really well in their sauces is Greek culture. It's called tzatziki. So, it uses shaved cucumber, and then you kind of get rid of some of that excess water and garlic. What could be better than that combination, right? They also do great because they use hummus in a lot of different dishes. So that's another kind of healthy sauce that packs in some protein, too.
0: Yeah, and hummus, you could have, well, you know, hummus is basically a derivative, I'll say it again, a falafel, my favorite thing around. But it's just anytime you can take chickpeas and maneuver them into something other than just chickpeas somebody thinks belong at a, you know, a salad bar, it's amazing what comes from chickpeas and how great it can taste with a little garlic and love.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, you got to sprinkle the love in there. That's the secret ingredient every time.
0: Culturally, it's intriguing to me what we can also learn, or how food instructs us about culture, right? Do you find yourself wanting to learn more about a person's background or from where they come, even from where we've come, you've come, I've come, by digging into some foods?
1: Yeah, I think one of my favorite things is to have people over and share my food, but I also love doing the same with other people. I have a Spanish friend, and what I love about going to their place is that they have this kind of they always make different tapas. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Spain, but it's such a social culture that surrounds food there with tapas. They're basically small little appetizers. But what I love about those as a dietitian, too, is that it allows you to eat foods in moderation and you're sharing kind of family style with your friends. And so you get to try a lot of different things. You get really diverse nutrients, but you're not overdoing it because you're sharing and they're kind of smaller dishes.
0: Well, and that whole trend of what was holistic and you know historic kind of grew into many of those restaurants that would have small plates, right? Oftentimes that was where they came from. And that is nice because, again, we're coming out of this time where we can gather with people and pass a plate and not worry. But it is nice to think about the conversation that comes from that. How does it taste? What's the flavor you're getting that I'm not getting? You know, that's that's great stuff.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think, you know, as you mentioned that, all the different flavors. One of the things that I love about different foods from other cultures is learning how to prepare vegetables in a new and exciting way. Because especially Indian food, they do a really great job kind of packing in those plant based proteins so deliciously, but also packing them in with other vegetables. And so that's something that I think we all can learn from is finding new ways to enjoy vegetables because it's no news here, but just the plant-based diet and eating fruits and vegetables, it is good for overall health. So any ways that we can kind of think about packing that in more is good and cultural foods is the perfect way to do that. Well, and there's this part
0: about vegetables that I think maybe it's a thing in the West, but I don't think so. Probably other cultures in Europe do it and other cultures in the world where you tend to want to lather up your vegetables to make them palatable. (laughs) And then you discover when someone really puts it together or you get a new recipe... The delightful taste that come from the simplicity of not covering the veggies up with too much other stuff. You know, really good asparagus is just incredible. You don't need butter. Maybe a touch of salt, I guess. But, you know, but it's just like when they're in season here in Michigan, asparagus stalks and you can get that stuff fresh. It's incredible.
1: Yes. And asparagus in Michigan is hand picked, So even better. Did you know you can actually watch asparagus grow? Like it grows so fast you could even see it growing.
0: All right, now you've got a lot of time on your hands. What if you sat around watching asparagus grow? Are you kidding?
1: I mean, you could put your camera out and let it do the work, but...
0: <laughs> Can you really? <laughs> yeah, they grow so fast in the summer. That's why My brother grows it. He lives up near Cadillac, and he's got a gentleman's garden or farm, you know, out in the back. And he's got blueberry bushes, and he grows some asparagus, and he got a lot of stuff that's below ground and above ground. You know, he's got cucumbers, and then he's also got carrots. I mean, he's got all kinds of stuff. And he's got asparagus... And I don't know if I've ever heard him talk about how fast it grows. I'm going to call him and give him some stuff now. Do it.
1: Do this it. This is great. Yeah.
0: Culturally, we can find ourselves having to get pushed out of our comfort zones. I would argue that's a good thing, right?
1: Yes, it's such a good thing. Something that I love to do to get pushed out of my comfort zone with it is always trying something new when I go to Either a grocery store that's, you know, in my case, Asian, or if I'm going to another restaurant, I want to always try something that I've never tried before. Another thing that my partner and I love to do is have a date night where we pick a country and we kind of go all out with that country. We'll, you know, choose music <laughs> that we'll play. We don't go all out with outfits or anything, but You know, we'll really try to dig into some amazing dishes from another country and try to appreciate it in that way. So it can be a really fun activity, too.
0: Well, and I'll tell you what, we had some friends a few years ago. This is going back, and I know you like Italy. So our friends are Italian. They had a historian, an art expert from Italy, from Rome, who was coming to Detroit. And they invited us to this wine-tasting pairing with little small plates of food to discuss the history of wine in Italy and i'm not italian although i'm often mistaken for italian and i thought i said to my wife susan i said this sounds like a wonderful evening it was off the charts it there was a connection as you mentioned to religion there was a connection to the topography so the hill country was different from another part of the country and then one thing i walked away from was that the discovery of champagne was an accident <laughs> i had never known this that whoever it was that started bottling the wine let it go too long, and it fermented, and when they popped the corks, it was bubbly, and they thought they were going to throw it out, and somebody went, ah, wait a minute. And that's where champagne came from, from Italy and France. Isn't
1: that wild? Happy accident.
0: (laughs) Right, but here I am telling you about this. It's got to be half a dozen years ago. We walked away from that small evening... And we just thought this was the coolest thing ever.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the cool things I learned about wine was that back in the day when people would grow wine, we didn't have all the interesting technology we have today where we can test the soil to see what will grow well there and to see what minerals are in it. Because the minerals and the soil play a huge role in not only the way that wine is going to taste, but just crops in general. So... What monks used to do, they actually used to make a lot of wine back in the day, and they would dig up some rocks and lick it to taste what kind of minerals, and then they could tell what crop or what type of grape would grow well there. So, so much interesting things with people, you know, how connected they are to the food and then how just good they were at what they were doing. I mean, those monks could taste just the mineral content of that soil.
0: Well, that makes perfect sense, because, you know, some of the more interesting-tasting wines to me are those that have been grown in volcanic soil, you know, that you can actually taste in the wine, that it's got some kind of mineral. or That's really interesting. I also learned years ago that some of the monks used to keep the grapes, the last of the sweeter grapes, for themselves and hide them in a cabinet. <laughs> and if you look at some German wines, if you ever see the phrase mit, M-I-T, mit cabinet, and they spell the word with a K, that's where that comes from. That meant that the monks were keeping some of the best-looking late-harvest grapes for themselves in a cabinet, and then they would bring them out and make some wine. I thought,
1: oh, that's
0: pretty tricky. That's smart.
1: Hey, good for them. I would do the same. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what do you think we should be, of all the things we're discussing, and we can continue to discuss some individual cultural foods, what do you think we learn Outside of some of these fun stories, and that's enough maybe, from different food cultures. What should we be going to your favorite restaurant for or a dinner party and coming away with from a food culture?
1: Well... I think a great example of this is just ways that we can increase our nutrient intake from healthy foods. So we step into a a Mexican restaurant, our southern neighbor. They're plentiful around here and around the U.S. They do such a great job of incorporating those colorful vegetables. You know, you think peppers, you think tomatoes, onions, all those kind of things. And they also do a great job incorporating beans. You know, it's kind of the nutritionist dream, if you will, those black beans. So finding ways to eat those healthy foods and incorporating them into everyday life. If you do dine at a Mexican restaurant, you want to watch out for the crispy stuff because they're typically fried, especially, you know, salsa is a really healthy food. But if you eat them with too many chips, it kind of defeats the purpose there. So enjoy the salsa with fajita chicken, with the vegetables, and focus more on those kind of things. If you go to an Indian restaurant, looking at the curries, the way they incorporate chickpeas in the Indian food. If you make it yourself, you want to think about kind of cutting down on the coconut milk. Use light coconut milk if you can. Another thing that Indian food does well with the curries is making, for example, in butter chicken, they'll make a gravy out of tomato paste. So really, really delicious there and it makes it really creamy and what you're using there is tomato paste. One of the really great tricks I learned Or Indian food to make it extra creamy. And if you're using yogurt, you want to add it to the very end of a dish. Because if you cook yogurt, it can kind of become a little crumbly. It doesn't incorporate into the dish as well. So at the very end, you want to gently stir in a little at a time of yogurt because if you add too much at once, it can again cause that crumbliness. So just a little at a time and at the very end.
0: But, you know, there are dishes, you were talking, we don't mean to pick on Mexican food lovers, but, you know, there's also refried beans. There are certain things within certain cultural foods that, because of the way they're made, we also, from a healthful standpoint, we may say either we've got to do it with a more limited access, you know, we got to use portion control. It's not like you shouldn't have any of it, but there are a couple things that do raise some red flags often.
1: Yes, because foods come from other cultures, they can feel maybe a little mysterious. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that I like to tell people to watch out for is if something's crispy, think that they could potentially be fried. So if you're at a restaurant and you're ordering or you're making it at home, ask for them baked, Or ask for that dish maybe to have less oil added or use oil instead of butter. Uh, If you make it at home, an air fryer is an excellent way to prepare it. Another thing is sauces. Oftentimes sauces can be really sweet, especially in Asian cuisine. So that might be a sign that there's a lot of added sugar to it. You can think of using a little bit less of the sauce, or if you're making it at home, just using less of that sugary, whether that's honey, ma- whether it's maple syrup, whatever it is, just putting it in a little bit less. Another thing with sauces is that if they're creamy, it usually means that there's a lot of saturated fat. Saturated fat is something that can contribute to high cholesterol especially the bad kind of cholesterol that we think of. And so if we're using that, of course, we mentioned substituting yogurt, but just looking at including oil instead of butter for those sauces. So taste about the same, has the same amount of calories, but it's not going to have that saturated fat. So always look for oils that are kind of fluid at room temperature. Any kind of saturated fat is going to be hard at room temperature. So you think lard, coconut oil, butter.
0: Well, and you're also talking about something that's easier for us, maybe when we're either over at somebody else's house, you know, helping cook, or we're doing it at home with, you know, our family or our kids around, or now I've got grandkids, we cook together. It's fun to experiment and try to incorporate, you know, yogurt instead of sour cream, because really what you're trying to do is not keep it flavorful, but trick your palate, right? You're trying to break this old notion of what you feel is creamy. It's still creamy, It still tastes the same and it's good for you. And that's kind of fun to experiment that way.
1: Yeah, and I think it allows us to find a way to enjoy the foods that we really love and use them in everyday life because we shouldn't really have the very unhealthy foods in every day. So it makes it to where it's more something that you can have on a Tuesday instead of just on Saturdays.
0: So as you venture around Michigan, and I know you travel quite a bit, I just saw you in a kayak, some post somewhere in social. So I know you're all over. You're even in the waterways now, Shanti. <laughs> you're major, major star of motion pictures, radio, and television. Um, when, when you get out in Michigan, what are you trying to add healthfully to your diet from these different cultures that you've touched on? What are the things you would tell us all we should go out of our way to be adding? by default, when we're venturing out looking for various kinds of cultural foods?
1: I would tell you to look for plant-based proteins. So tofu is a great one that I've started incorporating in my Thai food. Whenever you go to a Thai restaurant, oftentimes you can choose what protein that you want to use. And in my case, I've been choosing tofu. It can taste great grilled. Uh, You can even sear it in a pan with just a little bit of cornstarch on them. And then it makes them really crispy. Another thing is looking for ways that beans and chickpeas are incorporated. Again, those plant-based proteins. Another thing is when you're looking at side items, try to make them as colorful as you can. So, you know, when you think of going to a Mexican restaurant, we mentioned fajita. So if you can choose fajita vegetables as a side, that's a great way to pack in more nutrients. Usually what I think of is the more color a food has the more nutrients it's going to have as well. And then finally, I would ask you to kind of think twice about the crispy foods and about the sauces and just kind of keep those to a minimum, but then find ways that kind of vegetables and fruits are used to make those sauces. So, you know, there are a lot of salsas and different sauces that make things delicious without adding a ton of calories.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that we used more, we kind of, I shouldn't say we, I'm going to tell you about my wife here now. We've had a crock pot forever and then we got an Instapot. We've made some wonderful soups, you know, they're broth based, obviously, tons of vegetables just incredible stuff, she still wants to stick with the crockpot. It's okay. We don't need to eat for eight hours. We just start it in the morning. But some of that stuff that you can do now, as a lot of people are venturing back to work, either do it quickly when you get home or set it and forget it all day, some of the most healthy stuff that I think we've made in the past year, year and a half, has come out of some of those pots. It's just been awesome tasting food.
1: Yes, yes. One of my favorite ways that is just like the most simple Recipe ever is putting a chicken in a slow cooker and then pouring salsa on top and adding vegetables. Boom, done. Yeah, (laughs) five minutes and then you have dinner.
0: Well, you're helping us navigate this space because there's so much. You know, you talked about fa. You're talking about sometimes there's fish in a dish. Sometimes we didn't touch on sushi. I've got a ten year old grandson. This is so amazing because I love the fact that he's got this palate. This kid wants to experiment with foods like crazy, and he loves sushi. So all I know is that when we go out, it's a big bill. But (laughs) this guys he's kind of brought us along, you know, my wife and I. We take him out and we treat him, and it's just delightful to see this happening in somebody who's 10 years old.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I guess some tips for sushi because it is such a delicious food is that you want to focus on rolls that have a lot of fish in them. So if they're listing like three different types of fish, it typically means that they're more plentiful and those are going to be better choices because sometimes what can happen, especially in sushi, is that they're packed with a lot of crunchy stuff. So right. you you think of the panko. <laughs> yeah, so fried panko is a way that things are made crispy You also think of the ones that have shrimp, especially if it says tempura shrimp, Mm -hmm. that is going to be fried. So you want to think of the ones that don't have a ton of sauce, don't have a lot of crisp and are more focused on the vegetables and, of course, the fish because they have so much healthy omega-3, especially if you choose salmon. And then, of course, all the nutrients that comes along with the fish.
0: All right. I know we're getting close to wrapping up, but I have to admit to you, don't send notes to anybody. Don't. T- well, I guess people will know now in the podcast. So we're out, I don't know, a month ago, and we're having some uh, sushi. And he looks at us and he says, you know, my name is Papo. My wife is Nan. Nan, Papo, I've never had this deep fried ice cream thing. And we're like, oh, my gosh, that just sounds like such a bad idea, you know. Well, we got one but i tasted it with my spoon and i have to i'm admitting to you as my my friend and my registered dietitian expert i had to try it but it was portion controlled just so you know
1: yeah exactly that's a good point it's you know as long as things are portion controlled it's totally fine to have them
0: And I'm not even sure if that's an Asian thing or they just figured it out. I'm not sure, but it sure was tasty for that spoonful that I got. (laughs) As we wrap things up, any other takeaways for us? You've guided us down the healthful path in so many different ways. Anything else you would suggest we keep an eye out for or we practice better as we deal with cultural foods and our wellness?
1: Yeah, well... Because cultural foods are so important to us and play such a big role in our lives, it's important that we don't completely cut them out and that we find ways to honor them. So one of the things that I love to do is taking photos while I'm cooking with my family. You know, my sister makes beautiful cakes, so I, you know, we have a little bit of it, but I have those pictures to remember it. And have your family handwrite their recipes It's not only just a beautiful memory to carry around with you, but it's something you can make on those special occasions. And then finally, find just new ways to make them healthier. There are so many ways to reinvent the cultural foods you love to make them edible on a daily basis instead of just once in a while.
0: Well, really good stuff. You've inspired me now. That whole last-minute idea, I know you said you're not even dressing up, but if I'm going out for German food the next time, I may show up in Lederhosen. Take a picture
1: and send it to me. (laughs) Yeah, well, that
0: would be called blackmail. I'm not sure I want to go that far, but it's been a joy having you with us again. And you've got to give one more shout-out goodbye to Grandma in Sweden.
1: Ah, oh, hej hej mormor. Jättekul <laughs> att du lyssnar. Vi hör snart. What did you just say? Oh, secrets. You've got to oh, get a dictionary. On. No, I've just, I just said hello, Grandma. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk soon
0: that's great. Well, Monica, I hope I said that correctly. Thank you so much for listening. And Shanti Apello, thank you for being with us and helping us guide this conversation on cultural eating. It's been wonderful. Thanks, Chuck take good care. And thank you for listening to A Healthier Michigan Podcast. It's brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. If you like our show, you want to know more, check us out at ahealthiermichigan.org slash podcast. You can leave us reviews, ratings on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. That always helps. And you can get new episodes, old episodes on your smartphone or tablet. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you know, your favorite podcast app. I'm Chuck Gatica. Be well.